this will be a very special episode of Out of the Main. John, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to go on a high adventure, are we not? Ooh, yes. Uh-huh. A high adventure on the high seas. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can still hit high sea. No. Hmm. Anyways, we've done these album focuses before where we'll take a whole album, we'll dissect it, we'll talk about what we love about it. We probably get even a little too nerdy for some people, but we're going to do that again regardless. But today we've got a little bit of twist. Yes. A little bit of tris. As a matter of fact, a little bit of tris, right? So, uh, we never thought we'd have the opportunity to parse an album with one of the members of the band that played on it, but here we are. And since we spoke to Tris Imboden, drummer for Kenny Loggins and many others, uh, in the past, we thought we'd have him back and see if he wouldn't go down memory lane with us and do a deep dive into Kenny Loggins' High Adventure. So, Without further ado, let's welcome back to Out of the Main, Tris Imboden. Tris, how are you? I'm doing great. It's so good to see you guys again. Yeah. And uh, before we dive into the record, last time we had you on, um, and by the way, that episode was so well-received, so people loved it. They were yep. text messaging us and saying, what you know, best episode ever. So whatever you did... Do it again today. <laughs> <laughs> well, he brought the gold and the platinum. You ought to see, for those that don't see the video, he's got uh, a lot of platinum and a lot of gold records hanging on the wall behind him. So pretty nice. Oh, shoot. Well, yep. uh, by way of explanation, I'm not trying to show off. It's just uh, my wife and I moved into this small condo while our new home is being built, and I'm kind of banished to the only place I can do this. So I have to be with a record. Just so home. happens. All right. <laughs> well, it's, if only I had a man cave that had platinum records and gold records on the wall. I think I'd spend all my time in there as, yeah. as well. Yeah. Wouldn't have to banish me. But, Tris, last time you were on, you broke some news, uh, which we always love to break news. And you told us about a project that you were working on. So we want to get an update. We've seen the sizzle reel online for the Tris and Bowden Yacht Stars. And when I say sizzle, I mean sizzle. So tell us what the project is and give us an update where it stands today. Okay. Well, I had the privilege and the honor uh, to be asked by my dear friend, Greg Bissonette, to, uh, who plays with Ringo Starr and the, and the All-Stars, to sit in with Ringo Starr and play his drums. It was, <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched since, I swear to God. It's like, <laughs> I'm getting a little gamey now. <laughs> but uh, The surfing probably helps, though. Yeah, yeah surfing does help. But uh, anyway, on the way home from uh, from that gig um, and having played with Ringo, I still can't believe I got to do it. Uh, my wife said, you know, with all the people, you know, and all the records you've played on and what is now the yacht rock genre, you know, what do you think about putting a band together kind of that is yacht centric? And I went. God, that's a great idea. And the more I thought about it, the more I went, yeah, man, that's. And so I so I made a few phone calls to guys I know that, you know, have been a part of the Yacht Rock thing uh, without realizing that it was going to be Yacht Rock, you know, back when uh, we were doing those records. And everybody said, I'm in. And uh, I'm so excited also at how well received this sizzle reel that we we put together uh, was and is. And uh, as a matter of fact, I will drop a name or two here. All right. <laughs> I, I, I uh, for fun, played it for Kenny Loggins to see what he would think of it, because there's three tunes on, on there that are his that I had recorded with him and uh, 
And he came back and said, wow, it sounds great. And God, the vocals and and uh, and that. Who is that sa saxophonist? And I said, that's Michael Polo, man. He played with you at one time. I recommended him. <laughs> Again, he said, God, can you give me his number? I'd like to. And I said, no. <laughs> He's in my band now. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, Anyway, the band is just, it's comprised of guys, uh, Bruce Bollinger, who is a great guitarist, who co-wrote with Michael McDonald for his first album, also played with Michael for, for a while and was with Boss Skaggs and toured with Boss Skaggs on the Middleman Tour. Um, this, this bass player that I've worked with, uh, doing everything from straight ahead jazz to Latin to everything. He's, he's worked with Alan Dermo is his name. And he's worked with everybody from John Oates to, to, uh, to the captain and to Neil. I mean, he's Ooh. done everything. Nice. And then, uh, this keyboard player who is just, I am so, so proud of, uh, his name is Bruce, uh, or I'm sorry, Monty Seward. And he's an, absolute monster in the the r&b and what is now deemed yacht soul world yep. he is, okay. is on fact before we even met and and he was we're in this band together we played on hits together by an artist named howard hewitt you know who was in shalimar and mm. uh uh, anyway, done played on a couple of albums together. Didn't even realize we'd never met because we didn't play on the songs at the same. Right, right. You know how that goes. Yeah. So, uh, and if he opens his mouth, look out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is such a great singer. So, and Jeff Gunn, this this amazing singer who can cover all that Kenny Loggins stuff and then some. I mean, we're, we're even doing a Gary Wright tune because, you know, I worked with Gary and uh, played on his last hit, I Really Want to Know You. So we were playing Love, Love is Alive the other day, and I'd never heard him sing like that but man he opened his his pie hole and gary wright <laughs> flew out man uh, this gruff thing man it was so soulful and uh and anyways one of these rare creatures that i've never encountered before that that also being a lead singer and you guys have been in the business for a long time you know all too often they suffer from lsd the lead singer disease right yeah but, yep Yep. <laughs> They're uh, say no more. a little full of themselves on occasion. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you sound genuinely excited, then that I mean that gets us excited. Wow. Oh, yeah. Good. So it, it and I was really impressed with the lead vocalist because that I mean that's there's a lot of range when you're talking about covering all these artists. Yep. You know, yeah. if you could pull off Kenny and you could pull off Gary Wright and everyone in between, geez. And he did in the sizzle reel. You have a date booked. When is it and where is it? And what's to come after that? June eleventh. <laughs> All right. All right. We're at a little time. It's actually going to be here uh, in San Diego at a place called La Costa. Well, it sounds like you got the right crew wow. aboard. Yeah. So, yeah. recipe for success. Well. As soon as you got more dates, shoot them to us and we'll blast them out for you. Uh, but only fitting that it gets launched on the West Coast. So you got to start true. That's true. I was going to say, yeah. we better get to the album. We're not going to make it through side one in the first episode. Right. Here. <laughs> well, let's do that. Sorry, man. <laughs> let's dive in. We'll dive into High Adventure. Uh, and uh, let's just talk, John, first about just sort of the album holistically before we get into track by track. All right. High Adventure, uh, Kenny's fourth album. Uh, this is the third one you did with them, right, Tris? Not counting the live stuff? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. There was night watch hide or uh, uh, keep the fire and then hide. Right. I know keep the fire is Trissa's favorite. The reason I picked this one is I thought there might be some more interesting talking points, a little more diverse album that kind of reflected a little bit of change in sound for Kenny. So that's worth talking about. September 1982 was what I have for release here. Co-produced. Kenny and Bruce Botnick. Is that how it's pronounced? Botnick is correct. Yeah, because he had done work with uh, Doors, Eddie Money, Beach Boy. So he had quite, you know, an extensive sort of success prior to this. So he was bringing in um, a true, tried, uh, tested guy here. And um, this is is actually, as I said, this is my favorite uh, Loggins album. So, Tom, what do you got? Well, just uh, an observation that leads to a question for Tris is – you know, um, we Yacht Rock geeks, we, we are obsessed with knowing who the personnel is on various records or songs or whatever. And that, in part, that's what makes it Yachty or not Yachty in some ways. But you look at the personnel on this record, and I, my note is personnel for days. Like, there's just not only the, the sheer volume of players, but the quality. You know, all of the names that we'll, we'll get into track by track, but that people will recognize the Abel Boreals, of course, Michael McDonald and Tristan Bowden and Vern Porter. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Page and page and I mean just these names. So my question is: Before we get into track by track, for a studio musician like you, obviously you didn't work with all forty of these people at the same time. Maybe you didn't even meet all forty of them. And I'm just using the number forty. But to what extent did you mingle with these other cats? And and like, I can't envision a a studio with forty guys waiting outside waiting to do their session. So how did you intermingle with these people, and how did that all work out? Well. Uh, traditionally, we would cut with a rhythm section. I like uh, Kenny liked to do it that way. Uh, uh, most of the recording that I've done with with Kenny, always we would cut with like bass, drums, guitar, and keyboards, just to start with. Uh, now, most of High Adventure was cut that way um, because uh, the lion's share uh, of that recording was all done uh, by his band uh, for the most part, yeah. which at that point was Neil Larson, Steve Wood, Vernon Porter on bass, Mike Hamilton on guitar, um, uh, usually, and and then myself on drums. So, uh, so we would kind of cut like that. Um, Kenny also, like I'd mentioned on a previous um uh, uh, our, our previous podcast uh, loved to rehearse, and so with his band, we we would really take aim on on some of those songs uh, before we we'd go in the studio. So that was a luxury. But a song like Heart to Heart, um, you know, it's not like uh, I mean, I knew David. I played with David Foster. I played with uh, with Michael McDonald, of course, and and all those people. But uh, uh, like David Sanborn wasn't waiting in the hall. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of times uh, I know that, you know, the drummer is one of the first one to go because their parts are done, uh, you know, at the outset, typically either as part of the basics or even they're just trying to get a good drum track and then it's overdub city. So unless the drummer wants to hang out, they're not always there for all the overdubs. Right. So true, John. Yeah. And it used to piss me off, as a matter of fact, and a lot of other drummers, too. Because I know. as a session player, 
drummers were expected to come in, get it right. In fact, you know, all the pressure, all the pressure yeah. was on yeah. the drummer and, yep. and everybody else would just be there doing scratch bass, scratch guitars, yeah. scratch keyboards. And then they'd come in the next day and get paid again. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the drummer That's right. got paid once. Right. That's so right. I was like, yeah, but it was such bullshit, man. We, <laughs> Well, we, uh, um, presented that. <laughs> yeah. well, that's going to lead me to a question as we get further in. So let's move into um, Don't Fight It. Ironically, that's uh, the one song where it's kind of an outlier on the album in terms of everybody sort of... Uh, Shuffled parts. So you've got uh, a Dennis Conway plays drums on that, and you're listed on percussion. Neil Giraldo comes in on guitar, moving Mike Hamilton to bass. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting all of this to accommodate the duet with Steve Perry. But the song was nominated for a Grammy, so you certainly got something right. What did you play on that? It just says percussion. Here's what happened, and and why they I'm uh, credited with percussion. Um, it was an experiment. The whole thing was an experiment. I think uh, Bruce Spotnick wanted to try a different rhythm section. And so he brought in uh, Dennis Conway uh, to play drums. <clears throat> now, uh, they weren't happy with the sound that they got on his drums, right? So I had to go back and actually double everything he played. Oh. My drums. But they couldn't, like take away Dennis's uh, credit. And I'm glad they didn't because I doubled literally everything he played. And, uh, uh, but they called me a percussionist. Oh my goodness. They didn't recut the whole thing again uh, because, because they weren't happy sonically with it was because they couldn't get Neil Giraldo again because of his schedule. So, uh, wow. so that was the reason for that. See how interesting this is. I, well, I thought it was going to be even more interesting. I thought you were going to tell me you played the whip crack in there. This is the way to go. This is why you bring yeah. the actual musicians in to do this. So we got to go back and redo total four and have Lucather, Page, and Picaro. <laughs> and just tell yeah, right. Because uh, the sound sucked. <laughs> I, I got to say, though, you know, talking about Geraldo, um, that opening guitar riff still just blows me away. Me too. I wish I'd been there when he did it, man. <laughs> but I wasn't, damn it. Uh, uh, but boy, it's so exciting, man. Isn't it? Yeah. And There's a lot of um, chatter in the background, too. I hear a lot of the band shouting, hooting and hollering, uh, like almost yeah. like the, the drum mics or whatever. I, I picture everybody in a room just having a ball. Yeah, absolutely. Kenny wanted to encourage that. During okay. the recording of that album, and uh, even on uh, "Swear Your Love," for mm -hmm. example, you know, yep. which happens to be one of the greatest guitar solos of all time, I think. Mike Hamilton, <laughs> mm -hmm. thank you very much, Mike. Uh, mm. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of that banter going on, yeah. you know, throughout that song too. Well, I was just gonna. Um... 
give context in case people didn't know who the name Neil Giraldo. Um, some of our listeners are more casual fans, but he's probably most famous for being Pat Benatar's guitar player, would you say? Yeah, and, and husband, husband for a long time. Yeah. Right. yeah, and I have some context for you. I read, according to Wikipedia, so everything on Wikipedia we know needs citation, but it says the, uh, the whip used for the sound effect was the same one used for the sound effect in Indiana Jones. Oh, that's <laughs> great. No, I didn't really? know that. Apparently that came out in uh, Kenny's book. So, ah, okay. You know uh, the entire whole high adventure motif, the art yes. and everything was very Indiana Jones inspired. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Totally in keeping in character with it. <laughs> so, going back to the decision to bring in Steve Perry, you said that was kind of Bruce Botnick's call. Um, to what extent was that embraced by Kenny? And I'm, yeah, imagine 1982 journey has got to be near the top oh, of the yeah. game at that point. Yeah. Right. So this is kind of a huge get, right? So talk through kind of how that all blended. Is that something that Kenny was like all aboard or was there any kind of, why are we doing this type thing? This was, a, it was the first track that they cut for the album. So I really wasn't privy to any of that until they wanted the drum sound uh, or the drums replaced. Um, uh, then from uh, from that track on, it was all me. So um, <clears throat> on the basics. So I didn't really get to talk to to uh, Bruce about you know how he put this together with Steve. Um, I do know that Kenny, of course, was a huge Steve Perry fan, as w- were we all. We'd actually played it at Arrowhead Stadium together with. Journey and and Loggins and the Doobie Brothers together, um, <clears throat> not long before that, and hmm. so that may have been the, what that was the Germany or became yeah, yeah. the germination of it. You know. Yeah. Well, speaking of germination, too, John and I, whenever we do these deep dives, we always kind of examine. All right, why did they open with the song? Or why did they close side one with the song? Why did they close the album? You know, and then for the Christopher Cross album, remember John? We're like, that was a weird way to kind of make an entrance into a record. This this is how you start a record right here. Yeah, that, that uh, it announces itself in a big way. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Now we're rocking. I noticed also when we get to the the breaks right before the chorus each time, that little twangy guitar break. <laughs> That sounds like I'm starting to hear echoes of what is going to be Footloose down the road. Ah, great observation, man. I never even thought of that. But, yeah, uh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, great observation. All right, want to move on to uh, Heartlight? Yeah, because now this is full on Triss from here on out, as you said, yep. right? Um, we talked about this song before, John, because there's an interesting uh, concept to where these lyrics came from. Do you want to re-paraphrase that, or we can have Triss shed some additional yeah, light Yeah, I know it had it. something to do with a, um, a school that's called the Heartlight School or something like that. And I remember reading where it was something about um, – some project that the the teacher had kids write, what what do you like? And they just had, I like something and fill in the blank. And he just kind of went through these and some of them caught his attention or something like that. You know, so it's why it starts out, you know, I like the, I like the, and so he's kind of ah, drawing inspiration from that. But I don't I know, that know that that's hundred percent accurate, but it's something along those lines. 
That's great. I didn't know that. But I, I do remember specifically that that uh, recording that song. And actually, uh, there was a couple of things that stand out. That was the first song that Vernon Porter came in, and that was sort of his audition. Oh, I'd recommended Kenny had asked me if I knew a bass player uh, that I, I really liked that he, he would like. And I recommended Vernon Porter, uh, who was just an incredible musician. And uh, so he went in and ended up on the record and in the band. So that that started uh, Vernon's association with with Kenny. But I also remembered two things. Steve uh, um, uh, Foreman, the great percussionist, if you remember all those percussion sounds on that song. I like the love. And I like the he played each one of those individually. And mm -hmm. we did cut that track to a click track, but he had his bang box or something he called it. Yeah. You know, yep. and then all these other, you know, the little textures. Mm -hmm. He did all of those separately, and he had it all written out. Oh, wow! Meticulously. I mean, what he he planned it out, and uh, I, I was so impressed by that. My God, man! I mean, what, I do. I've known him for a long time. knew he's a great percussionist, but number one, the imagination, and mm -hmm. then the ability to not only like 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 create it but then write it out so perfectly man it was like whoa uh, and then the um the simmons stuff and there's some electronic drums in there is that you or is that something he's doing uh there's no electronics that i played on that okay track. feels like there's something in there it's all acoustic um <clears throat> later on on uh it must be my imagination that, was, that may be what i'm thinking of yeah yep. but uh the other thing was was the rep for, for uh, CBS Sony, the Japanese uh, executives were there during the cutting of that and, and gave me to hold my first CD. Oh. Yeah, because, yeah. And he said, this is where everything is going. Wow. <laughs> and, really? Yeah, in 82? Was, yeah, in 82. Wow. Yeah. So um, I, I had heard about it, but I'd never seen one. And so he, he gave it to me to hold. And I was like, yeah, okay. I like <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was underwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> It'll never catch on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, my two observations about the song, one is I love the rhythm in the chord progression, which is we can play a little of the verse because see what I'm talking about. I like the rain because I like your thunder. I know we learn to live together here in a hard life. Stand in the dark. Oh, oh, and I light a and uh, what I love about it, it's atypical for Yacht Rock, and maybe this isn't even technically Yacht Rock, but it's so Probably different. Probably too many acoustics for that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just so different from what you're used to hearing if you're listening to a lot of Yacht Rock, and I, I really love it. Um, and then the other thing is just to bring it full circle, the singers, the voices that you hear at the end are apparently brought back from that school. They're called the Heartlight School Singers and Dancers Christ Memorial Youth Choir. So that was really cool. Yeah, uh -huh. I had a couple of takeaways. One was that uh, Kenny Loggins is credited with the guitar solo on it, which is pretty cool. And um, the note that I had was how it almost feels like maybe the song was mixed 
two separate uh, and then edited together because the verse, the texture, and everything happening on the verse suddenly changes when we get to the chorus. And I, I find that really interesting. Um, and I know like ELO, they would they would mix their stuff in sections and edit it together because they wanted such very distinct different sounds from verse to chorus, or whatever. And I'd wondered if that was done that way. Yeah, actually, we cut the basic track like like uh, beginning to end. And uh, so all the uh, all that you're speaking of, I think, was accomplished uh with overdubs and then in in mixing in the know, mix stage like yeah you know how uh section to section you can make drastic you know yes changes sonically so i think that that and uh, that's what i like about that that's like it's yeah. such a sudden change i really like that i do too yeah cool well i would imagine if um christopher walken was near the studio session at this point is when he would have said it needs more cowbell. Yeah, exactly. Because we go into I Gotta Try, and you'll get plenty of cowbell when you hear this. So this was, I had a question for you. Let's see how good your memory is, Tris. So this was obviously the collaboration with Michael McDonald. This, there another version. His version also appears on his record, which also came out in 1982. So, do you remember which came first in terms of which got recorded first or which got you released know, first? I really don't. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I do know that uh, uh, on uh, Michael's version, Kenny sings on the Vamp Out, mm-hmm. and you can hear him. And Michael was unavailable on our version because originally Kenny wanted Michael to sing on that vamp out. So Mike Hamilton, the guitarist had a great Michael McDonald, like no impersonation voice. So, so he did it. That's Mike Hamilton. That's him. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I got to go back and listen to that. uh, Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me it was Richard Page because I know Richard Page and Steve George are credited on backups. Uh, Luke is credited on guitar. And of course, Michael McDonald plays. I mean, that's got clear what people call now the doobie bounce in that, that keyboard pattern. Yeah. Um, I love that track too. And Abe Laboreal's bass. Great bass. Man, just stop and listen to that top to bottom and focus on the bass, man. Jeez. That was, as a bass hacker myself, that was what the first thing I noticed is how well he and you groove and create additional bounce on top of the doobie bounce that what's going on over it. It's just really very tight. Man, thank you, Tom. Yeah. That was the first track I ever cut with Abe Laboreal. And, uh, man, I, (laughs) <laughs> if that was the only one, what a batting. Wow. I- You're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he made me sound so it, good. He dignified my It is amazing, though, how a bass player can change the way a drummer feels. Oh. Just by the way they play in between or with or whatever, ahead of you, behind you. It's amazing how much just that can change a groove. That is. We hold true. all the power, but yet 
people say to me, no, where's the base? What does the base do? I was like, oh, if you only knew. I know. I know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Drummers know, though. And that's what's sure important. do, man. Yeah. I love the um, what always catches me by surprise. And I know it was by design because it's in Michael McDonald's version. You get to that third chorus and halfway through the chorus, that's where the key change comes. You're not expecting it in the middle of a chorus. You, like maybe when we come back around, but right in the middle of the chorus, boom, up we go. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love that about Kenny's compositions and, and Kenny's thinking and his creativity. He really goes for, you know, that which is like a little quirky sometimes, yep, yep. you know, and, and it really kind of sets him apart. He's not predictable, yep. you know. Well, let's, let's put Tris on the spot real quick. And we could edit this out if you don't like the question, but we did an episode called Who Wore It Best? And John and I would compare versions and we'd argue, all right, who's, and I remember who I thought wore this one best. John, do you remember who you thought? You- oh, it's clear. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, Tris, who wore it best, Michael or Kenny? You know, there's something about Michael's version that I love. And it was the same thing with What a Fool Believes. Kenny. Kenny's version is way too fast, way too busy of on what a fool believes, right? Uh, right. As compared to the Dubes version. Um, when it comes to I Gotta Try, I love Michael's version. It's just mature and sort of back and in the pocket. But during that B section, I don't like all those pushes they do. I don't mm. like them. I like our version better. Okay. So, yep. so I think on that, on that song, I'd have to say, I, I and I don't usually feel this way, but I like mm-hmm. our, our version. Okay. Better. Yeah. Yep. I voted for the Loggins version. And I, I, very well. I stand overruled now. <laughs> Who yep. am I to argue with Tristan Bowden? He's on the track. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm a pushover. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're, we're back to a rocker. me, I hear some of the similar textures of Don't Fight It. Not necessarily the same song, but it's starting to sound like the same band as the Don't Fight It band. Um, it's just back in that rock zone that Kenny was experimenting with. Yes, yes. And and uh, as I said, uh, you know, if we had the the the, the benefit of, of rehearsing before we cut, it, it was really a, a luxury, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to take aim like that. And on that tune, we did, only not so much so that it feels Pfizer Hex clean and scrubbed. And because rock ain't pretty, buddy, <laughs> you know, it's, it can't be too uh, sanitary. So uh, so it still has a rough edge. But but, uh, man, you know, those sections, man, particularly Going into uh, out of the bridge into uh, Mike Hamilton's solo, I just love yeah. that. And Hamilton absolutely killed it.
My note is guitar solo, all in capitals, and then whoa after it. And that was my note here. <laughs> well, it's like you guys are reading my notes, too, because I have killer guitar solo by Mike Hamilton. But check out the driving drums that lead into the guitar solo section. Yep. So let's let people enjoy that. Hit it. Yeah, I just enjoy, um, you know, one of my takeaways on your playing on this, Tris, was the riding of the floor tom on the verses. I mean, giving yes. it some grit, riding that floor tom. And then we get to the chorus and you're just banging the crown of the ride. And it's just such a juxtaposition from verse to chorus. It's just this song should have been, could have been a hit. Could have been a movie song. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah it's one that got away for sure. God, we are... All on the same page. My other note is this is starting to foreshadow the future login sound of the soundtrack era because yeah. I, just like you said, it, it's yeah. going to be a great movie theme. Yeah, I got a question. Um, I almost embarrassed to ask this question, but I did not. <laughs> when has that stopped you? I know. <laughs> right. This is why he's. They say he's such a fool. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. is so. This was co-written by Ava Loggins, right? Which is a name I did not know going into this. Who is that? And because she's on a number of these. At at the time, that was Kenny's wife. Oh, oh okay. if you check uh, check Night Watch out and Keep the Fire, she co co wrote uh, some of those songs as well. I think she, as a lyricist, uh, as a lyricist, helped um, Kenny on some of the stuff. Okay, cool. I figured. But I just thought I had never heard the name. Yeah. Great lady. Uh, well, I'd heard the Loggins name. Anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we move off Swear Your Love, we got to play the most killer rock and roll ending on the whole album. Um, yeah. Let's hear it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, that's you fun. hear someone yell it, two, three, four. It sounds like you. Is it you? It be. is. And, yeah. and Kenny is doing it at the same time, and we're on different numbers at the same time. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I trust the drummer to have the count right. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, someone else might be leading the band, but in the moment, the drummer is driving the bus, man. If they're going to hit the last crash, everyone better be with them. That's right, yeah. damn it. Yeah. hand. Those hands come down, man. They better be ready. <laughs> Any chance you remember which take that was? Um, how quickly you nailed the first? I, well, like I said, we did, we'd rehearsed it. So I think we got it pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, and I remember Vernon and I, you know, spending some time on, like you were saying, John, you know, that that whole, that Tom thing. And uh, yeah. And during the solo, man, I love, I love the bass track as well. If you listen to the bass track, Vernon played his ass off of it. Oh, I got to go back, yeah. man. I didn't yeah, notice that. Okay. And and uh, how it kind of fits with the drums, man. It's, uh, I don't know, the feel. The feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Follow-up. Great feel. What's cool about this record, before we get to a song that this statement won't apply to, is that it's a rock and roll album. And I remember the first time I'd listened to this album recently, I was on a quest to go find like buried Yachty, Kenny Loggins, Yacht Rock, right? Right. And I'm going through his records, and I'm not finding that much out of the hits or outside of the hits. But now that I go through it, I say I don't care if this is Yacht Rock or not. Technically, and I just listen to this record, I'm like, man, this is yes. album rock. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, melts my face. But I knew you'd come around. 
Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when it's assigned as homework, it's a different listen than, you know, just putting down an album and mm-hmm. chilling. And there, you, I don't know if you could chill to this album until you get to the last song of side A or side one. And that's The More We Try. Just a beautiful ballad. All, this is also written by Ava, co-written, right? And uh, it introduces a new name. Um, not a new name to people, but a new name as far as this record goes. So that's James Newton Howard, yeah. who's doing the string arrangements. And James Newton Howard is, of course, a very famous a score composer for film. Yep. Um, as recently as The Dark Knight, and he worked with Hans Zimmer, but as far back as, what, Pretty Woman? Yeah, all that M. Night stuff that you love so much. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like having a film score? I mean, I don't know if you were any part of this. wasn't involved in this one. Right. Well, uh, actually, I, I met uh, James Newton Howard during the making of this album, but it was when he was overdubbing uh, some some uh, synth things mm-hmm. uh, that couldn't have been strings, because I believe those were real strings on the more we drive. Yep, some sort of pads and things. Yeah, but some pads or something. But I, I'll, I remember Kenny taking me into a room at Ocean Way and saying, hey, what do you think of this? And playing the more we try on acoustic guitar and singing it to me. Mm. And I was just like, God dang, man, I was devastated. It's such a, the lyric is so profound. And, and man, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about even these jaded nipples are getting hard. Well, you know, it, it might be overstating the obvious, but uh, obviously we're way before any days where you could uh, fix intonation. But Kenny's intonation as he goes up into his falsetto and upper head voice is just so impeccable. Oh, man. God, I know, man. You know, he always credits uh, well, his inspiration as Ron Isley, you know, of the Isley oh. Brothers, you know, for, for that falsetto thing. Oh, man. And, and man, he does it as good, if not better than anybody, including, I mean, I love Ron Isley, too. But wow, man. He can flow up into it and flow out so seam- seamlessly. Like Daryl Hall can do it. But there aren't many guys that can go naturally without hearing that break. Exactly, you know? man. On, on heart to heart. There it is again. Yep, going, yep. You know. Going from, from falsetto to half voice to full voice, all just like it's nothing, man. Seamlessly. Yeah. Yeah, you can't like figure out exactly where the switch is. It just kind of right. fluidly happens. Yeah. It's killer. Yeah. You know, sometimes these um these sort of ballads that you find at the ends of side one or two of records, and we we've kind of talked about why that often is, but sometimes they can seem in some ways I don't want to use the term throwaway because that's I don't want to that's not what I think about this song. You could tell a lot of times those songs are stuck at the end, but Kenny obviously had a lot of passion for this song because as I, going back to James Newton Howard doing the orchestration, I mean, you're bringing in some big guns to lay in keyboard parts on a song that isn't got a lot of verbose keyboard parts. You got Neil Larson playing on it. You got David Page playing on it. So he put a lot of love into a song that seemingly at this point in the album is entirely different than everything else. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, and that's, a, a <clears throat> again, something I really love how eclectic 
uh, high adventure is. I mean, it goes from don't fight it to that. <laughs> to the, one yeah. side. You know, yeah, oh my right. God. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we still haven't heard a lick of Yacht Rock yet, but that's okay. That's but true. It's, <laughs> we're rocking. We're weeping. I mean, that's a good side. Why don't we, um, why don't we uh, pick up the needle, place it aside. We're going to lift the record, flip it. <laughs> you got to blow off the dust. At least that's yeah. what I do. How they place it back down. You're supposed to use a brush. No, nah, I just blow on it. Yeah, I know. Do. Well, I use my <laughs> you get COVID all over it. To get the thumbs up and do yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And then we're going to place the needle back down, and we're on side two, side B. I guess I'm going to have to send you some articles on proper record care, proper uh, etiquette for vinyl. It sounds like we all have our own methods, <laughs> including Tris, who sounds like uh, he's rough, just as rough as I am with the vinyl. Yeah, if not worse, <laughs> his fingers on the needle. What is he, what is he doing? Come on, Tris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't been that bold. I'm afraid to touch the needle with my new uh, console, so because I'm afraid of screwing it up. But anyways, well... In between side A and side B, should we take a little quick intermission and do a lightning round? Sound effect, baby. All right. Well, I could start by throwing a flag on myself because Ooh. I just mentioned that we're all the way through side A and we haven't heard a lick of Yacht Rock yet. And that's not entirely true. It's not factually true. Yep. Maybe it's not true at all. <laughs> um, because we got, uh, I got to try, obviously. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, that version is probably rated as well. So I'll bet well, you it is. I have some data in front of me that I wanted to quiz you on. All right, hit it. Because I wonder if it weren't for the fact that there was also the other version with Michael McDonald singing, would this song be considered Yachty? Um, because I don't, I don't really hear it myself when I'm just listening to this record that we're talking about. I hear another rock tune. I don't hear, wow, this is Yacht Rock just the way Heart to Heart is, which is coming up. So... I went and looked at the data. First of all, do you agree with that or am I way off there? I agree entirely with that. Yeah. Okay. So one of the versions got 88.25. Guess what the other one got? 58.25. 83.25, which really? is the Kenny Loggins version. So hmm. I thought that was way too high, uh, but there it is. Yeah. Well, that kind of feeds, I guess, into my uh, question then. Which is? Uh, well, my float your boat question was not necessarily that I'm going to present a song. It is kind of based on that same comment that you said. You said that we haven't heard a lick of Yacht Rock yet. And we talked about it's a rocking album. You said we're weeping. But the rocking thing is what dominates the, uh, this record in a lot of ways. And for me, you can tell me to what degree you agree with this sentiment. This is my sentiment. I struggle to put stuff that really starts rocking into a yacht rock list for me. I totally agree. Like even a song like Rosanna, which I know is scored pretty high, does not sound at all like yacht rock to me, nor does certainly hold the line. Yeah. That's so the one the, we keep going back to is hold the line, but there's others right. like that. Yeah, exactly. And so most of this album I think is like that to me, just through the prism of, is it yacht or is it yacht heart to heart? Like is a huge outlier to me. It's like this song doesn't even fit on this album. It does really, but not through the prism of yacht rock. Agreed. Because it's the only one to me that's really close. I, you know, I know what you're saying about I got to try, but it, I think that all goes back to the Michael McDonald connection. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, what do you have for a buried treasure? Well, I have a – I wanted to find a login song that uh, connected to this. And I remember that Tris said his favorite record that he worked on with uh, 
Kenny was the um, Keep the Fire album, 1979. And I actually found a song on there that uh, was co-written by Stephen Bishop. Ooh. So uh, it's got lots of falsetto. We talked about Kenny's falsetto on that last tune on side one. Mm -hmm. Um, This one is almost entirely falsetto, and maybe that's partly because it was co-written by uh, Stephen Bishop. But I think it's worthy of uh, people to check this out. It is not a Yachty song. But it is a wonderful ballad that uh, includes some Yachty characters. So go and check out this one. Give it a full listen, but I'm going to drop in a little bit of Give It Half a Chance. So you can definitely hear the Stephen Bishop influence there, can't you? Yeah. I don't know if I would have picked it up had you not told me it. I don't think so either. You could definitely hear the Bish, though, especially even with that long, like, slow strum of the guitar chord. It sounds so much like the way he used to do it. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, I'm going to keep it very simple uh, and very easy for uh, my buried treasure, which is I'm just going to go back to that uh, opening track, the Steve Perry collab, Don't Fight It, because... I don't know that I remember that song going back to 1982 and me being 12 years old at the time. I don't think I do about it. Um, even exploring yacht rock to the extent that I have, I'm not sure I was all that familiar with it. And then when we sat down to discuss this album, it was like, Oh my gosh, this is it's a pretty good tune. And like, it's a pretty big deal that they did this and then opened the record with it. So that's my buried treasure. Yeah. I remember the song. I remember that I never felt it got enough airplay on the radio for the quality of what it deserved. I thought when I first heard it, I thought, man, that is a barn burner. That is straight up hit city. And it did well, but I felt like radio didn't give it as much uh, as it was you know, worthy of. Cool. And then finally, I will kick off the off the map section. Okay. I'm going to credit listener Mead with this discovery. He and a fellow, uh, a number of fellow yacht rockers, did a tribute to uh, Michael McDonald on Yacht Rock Miami. So we're slightly off the map. If you're going off the map from Kenny Loggins, you're either hitting uh, the island of Messina yep. or the or the uh, Strait of McDonald. <laughs> so I'm going to Michael McDonald. Okay. Um, this is a tune called "I Still Believe" by an artist. Do you know who Norman Brown is? Uh, no, I do not. I had no idea. Well, this he's got like a an album called Just Chillin'. It's very low-key. It's very mellow. Uh, it's from 2002, but it features Michael McDonald on vocals, which is why it made it into their tribute, and Mead was the one that offered it up. Also has Paulino DaCosta on percussion, Ooh, so yep. it makes it yachty, and then more on personnel after we hear a little bit of I Still Believe. Okay, I have a question for you uh, regarding personnel. Would one of the okay. one of the secret nuggets you're going to deliver be George Benson? Uh, no, because oh, I hear echoes of George Benson in that uh, guitar. Uh, I believe the guitar is Tony Maiden. Okay, I don't know who that is. I don't either. 
But so that album, I think, is a uh, kind of a smooth jazz meets pop sort of thing. But interesting, the year 2002, here are some nuggets of personnel for you. Okay. Uh, track one has horns arranged by Jerry Hay. Mm-hmm. I assume you've heard of him uh, with percussion by Lenny Castro. Um, let's see who else we got on here. I mentioned obviously Michael McDonald, Paulino da Costa. So, uh, it's pretty yachty personnel. There's more on here, but, uh, those were the big ones. And, uh, just found it interesting that in 2002, people were still getting those cats. I, should I say yeah. still getting the cats together or starting to again, get the cats together? Like I wonder what, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. All right. Well, wrap us up here. Last with your one. Off the map. Well, the first time we had Tris on, I told him, uh, how much I enjoyed the last Chicago album he was on. It was number 36. It's also known as Chicago Now. Uh, and I wanted to revisit that record. I've actually just got a vinyl copy of it. That was kind of a nice find. Hmm. And um, I noticed as I was going back through that, that uh, Tris actually has two writing credits on that album. Ooh. I, I had to go back and say, well, I'm going to put in uh, as a my off the map one of the tunes that Tris was a co-writer on. It's called Nice Girl. If you recall the way I sort of described that album, I encourage people to go out and check out this album. This is not the power pop Chicago you got used to in the 90s and early 2000s. This is a true going back to what made them great in the early on days. So the horn arrangements are back. The jazziness is back. The... All of that, and um, even the, the guitar stylings in many ways reflect the sort of influence of Terry Kath. I'm going to play a um, one of the breakdown horn sections that leads to a guitar solo on this tune. And tell me if this does not sound like vintage Chicago. Not Yachty Chicago, but vintage. Here we go. Well, I expected to hear nothing but a drum solo since it was co-written by Tris, but obviously he had plenty of restraint. No, that, you're right on about that sound. Obviously, the production, like going back to the mix of the drums itself, yes, does not yes. sound like vintage, but the writing sure does and the composition. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's some there's some stink face on that guitar that makes me think Terry Kath hmm. mm-hmm. from Beyond the Grave. Yep. All right. Well, anything else? I got a quick thing of uh, viewer mail here to before we wrap up. But anything else we want to say on the record? Yeah, nothing. nothing uh, I'm going to go completely off the record. Go ahead. All right. Well, then we'll place the needle down on side two when we return next week. But until then, uh, listener Tom writes in, wa- wants to know if we know what a sailor's favorite snack food is. I do not know that. Chips Ahoy. <laughs> I'm listener Tom. Uh, I get that. (laughs) 